while you're making your way there. I want to read this to you. A church once put this on the back of their bulletin. It was an announcement. And it said in big, bold letters, Church mourns the death of a prominent member. And the announcement went on to state that the church was saddened this past week to learn the death of one of its most prominent members, someone else. Someone's passing created a vacancy that will be difficult to fill. Else has been with us for many years. And for every one of those years, someone did far more than the normal person's share of work. Whenever leadership was mentioned, this wonderful person was looked to for inspiration as well as results. Someone else, they said, would work with that group. Whenever there was a job to do, whenever there was a class to teach, whenever there was a meeting to attend, one name was on everybody's lips. Someone else. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the largest givers in the church. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Someone else was a wonderful person, sometimes appearing to be superhuman, but could only do so much. Were the truth known, everyone expected too much of someone else. Now, now someone else is gone, and we wonder, what are we going to do? Someone else left a wonderful example to follow, but who's going to follow it? Who's going to do the things that someone else did? Remember, we can't depend on someone else. Isn't that true? But that's typically the mindset in many churches is we say, well, let someone else do it. <laughs> let someone else teach that class. Let someone else serve in that ministry. Let someone else attend that meeting. Let someone else do the work. Let someone else give. Let someone else go. Let someone else serve. Let someone else do it. And it's very unhealthy. It's unbiblical, really. And I believe one of the greatest challenges that many pastors face is not reaching the lost. It's not. It's encouraging God's people to step up to the plate. It's encouraging God's people to utilize and use their giftedness to contribute to the body of Christ. And I believe regardless of age... Because even at our church, we have, we have young adults who contribute, who are using their gift and their talents to serve the church. We have older adults who do that. And so it's, it's not, because I know sometimes we, we, we think that, you know what, we, we've been a part of the church for so, so long, you know, I just want to relax. Let someone else do it. And so it makes no difference of your age, your gender. So well, let, let, let the women do it. Let, let, let them take care of it. Or let the men do it. Let them take care of it. 
doesn't matter, you know, I, I praise the Lord. You know, we have deaf people who have stepped up to the plate and they're serving, they're contributing into the life of the church. It's great to see uh, Frank out there, you know, welcoming people. Brian, who's going to be, he- gonna be uh, uh, working in our, our parking lot ministry, just waving to people as they go by. Again, it's them contributing to the life of the church. It's not, about, it's not about segregating. It's not about classifying what well, we have this group of people and we have this group of people and this group is going to do, just do this and this people. No, it's about all of us coming together as diverse as we are, but we are unified in purpose. One of the greatest challenges that most pastors face is, is getting people to step up to the plate, to serve. For whatever reasons, and, 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 and I could give probably a, 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 a bunch of different reasons why, why, people, why people don't serve. And so we begin this, this process of, of looking at the church, that we want to be a church that's on the move. We don't want to be a stagnant church. We don't want to be a passive church. We don't want to be an idle church. We definitely don't want to be a church that's in neutral. We want to be a church that is in drive. We want to be a church that's moving forward, that's making a difference. Not just inwardly, but outwardly. And so it's going to require that the Spirit moves in, that we allow the Holy Spirit to have control. You know, when we think about the church, we think about, well, what's the, what's the, what's the church all about? You want, to, you want to write this down. Number one, it's God's church. It's His church. Jesus is the founder of the church. He is the foundation of the church. He is the head of the church. It is Jesus who gives the church its marching orders, its direction. We don't tell Jesus where we want to go. We say, Jesus, you tell us where you would have us to go. And it requires a yielding of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit must move in. The pastor needs to move over. Again, when we look at what the difference between a healthy church and an unhealthy church, an unhealthy church has a pastor that does everything and is expected to do everything. Well, let the pastor do it. That's what we pay him for. Let him do it. You know, and it's sad. It's sad. A lot of small churches, when they're looking for a pastor, they also look towards the wife. Well, what can the wife do? Can she play the piano? Can she, can she sing? Because what they're looking for is what I call a twofer, a two-for-one. Because that, that's the mentality of small churches. Let, let somebody else do it. But we, listen, we understand that God wants, to be a, a, wants us to be a church that makes an impact. It's going to require that all of us contribute. All of us step up to the plate and serve. And so I've got to move out of the way. I've got to do a better job equipping you for the work of the ministry. And then last Sunday, we talked about let God's people move in. We understand that you, if, if you're here this morning and you've come to a place where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior... You know, where, you, know, you know that Jesus, he died for you. You placed your faith in him for salvation. Guess what? You have a spiritual gift. 
You may not know what that spiritual gift is. And, and, and our job as pastors and teachers is to come alongside of you and help you discover your spiritual gift and then help you develop your spiritual gift and then ultimately help you deploy your spiritual gift within the body of Christ. And so uh, you have a spiritual gift. You have at least one spiritual gift. Now, all of us don't have the same spiritual gifts, but all of us have a spiritual gift. Now, when you couple that with your talent, what you're passionate about, what excites you, that makes us so different. That makes us unique, right? Because though we, we may share the same gift, your personality and my personality may be two different personalities, but yet we're able to minister in unique situations, in different situations. And so we need to celebrate our diversity of gifts, our diversity of talents, how God has created you, how God has made you, how he's wired you, and how you can contribute into the body of Christ. And so we talked about let God's people move, move up. It's, it's time for God's people to step up to the plate. If we're going to be a church that's going to make a difference and make an impact, it's going to require all of us to do just that. And so this morning, I want us to look at, well, let the church move out. Because as we allow the Spirit to move in, as the pastor moves over, as God's people move up, we have to begin looking outward. We have to begin looking at what is the purpose of the church? Why do we exist? What, what's, what, how, how can the church move out? I want you to look at Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. Paul is writing to the Christians in Colossae, and he says to them, devote yourselves to prayer. being watchful and thankful. And Paul says, and pray for us. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message. In other words, what Paul is praying, you know, Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter. He is chained. And he's saying, listen, you know, I want you to pray. I want you to keep on praying. Don't stop praying, all right? And in your prayers, I want you to pray for us that God would open up a door, an opportunity for us to minister, for us to share the good news, for us to move the message out. I believe that's so powerful. How do you think our church would begin to transform and change if we were praying for opportunities to share the message. Opportunities. Doors to be opened for us to share the greatest news that one could ever receive. Think how that would transform us. Paul says, I want you to, to pray that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Then Paul says, be wise. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, unbelievers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how to answer everyone. Then look at verse 7. Paul says, Tittichus will tell you all the news about me. He is my He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner... Uh, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Show him hospitality. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers. That's important right there. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he says, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Verse 12, Ephaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, matured and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, see to it that that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, send this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be to you. Now, there's some observations that I want us to glean this morning from this passage. He said, wow, what's what's up with, with this? Why is Paul listing all these people? I've never even heard of half of these people. I've only heard of, of uh, well, Mark. I mean, I've heard of Mark, and uh, I've heard of, of Demas, and I've heard of Onesimus. I've heard some of these, but but some of these names, I, this is the first time I've ever heard or read this. So so what what does that have to do with me this morning? Well, there's some observations. Number one, Paul surrounded himself with helpful people. Paul surrounded himself with helpful people. Now, if we, start, if we studied the life of Paul, and if we notice, you know, Paul, Paul did an incredible work for God. You know, he started churches. He was a missionary. I mean, just from the, from the time that, that God radically changed his life. I mean, we see Paul. He does a 180. I mean, he's preaching Christ in the synagogues. He's starting churches. He's doing missionary trips. He's writing these letters. He's encouraging everybody. He is he's growing the church. He's, he's doing all of this. And, and, and we would be tempted to say, man, Paul is awesome. He's doing such a great job. But truth be known, Paul would not be successful if it were not for the people he surrounded himself with. Paul could not do all of that if it were not for these individuals who came alongside of Paul and helped him. 
Paul surrounded himself with helpful people who were of the same mind, who were of the same purpose, and that was to exalt Jesus Christ, to know him and to make him known. See, Paul couldn't have done it by himself. Listen, I can't do it by myself, and you can't do it by yourself. The task and the challenge that God has called us to embark upon, we cannot do it by ourselves. It will require us together, moving together, striving together, pushing together, praying together, serving together, crying together, laughing together. It will require us to do this together. And so Paul was surrounded by helpful people. Now these people, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't well-known names. They, they weren't. I mean, uh, you know, they weren't, you know, the, 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 the top uh, to-do people in society. These, these were, were basic common folk. We would look at it and say, oh, they were nobodies, but yet they were somebodies because here we have in God's word these names. Now, I'm sure, you know, the people who met at the house of Nympha, we don't know who they were, but we know who, who these people were who came alongside of Paul and who helped him. We have recorded their names in Scripture for our edification and our learning this morning. Isn't that awesome? They didn't know that. They were just helping Paul. They were just serving the church. They were just serving Christ. They were just a part of ministry. But yet Paul realizes that they're a big help. Notice, secondly, they had a mutual love and commitment. There was a mutual love and commitment from these helpers toward Paul, and likewise from Paul toward these helpers. There was a mutual love. They loved each other. They were committed their commitment was deeper than a surface-level commitment. In fact, uh, Paul was a prisoner. He's in chains. He's in, he's in jail, right? He's chained to a soldier. And so to be friends with a prisoner could also cost you your freedom. In other words, you could end up in jail if you were a friend of a prisoner. And so yet, there's a mutual commitment to each other that though Paul is in chains because of preaching Christ, because of his convictions, because of his calling, he's in prison. And these people say, you know what? We identify with Paul. We're his friend. We're his co-servers, co-workers. We're his helpers. They were committed there was a mutual love amongst them. Number three, another observation is that they had different backgrounds and gifts. Some were prayer warriors. Some were givers. Some were servants. Some were sufferers. Some were messengers. They had different backgrounds and different gifts. A lot like us here at Barwick Road. We're different. And it's okay. I mean, how many, we're all not the same, right? How many of you this morning, how, how many of you would be honest and uh, uh, how many of you would say you were, you were brought up in a, in a Christian home? You were raised in a, in a Christian home. 
A few. How many of you say, I, I wasn't. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. See how different we are? Because there's some that say, hey, I, I've, I've had a religious background. I was raised in a Christian home. And there are some here, here this morning that say, I, I, that wasn't me. But yet we're, we're, we're different in our backgrounds. How many of us this morning are uh, our, our personalities? How many of you would say, hey, I'm, a, I'm an extrovert? I'm outgoing. I like to talk. I like to you know, just be the life of the party. You know, I'm an extrovert. Would, would you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm an extrovert? All right, got a few. How many of you say, I'm an introvert? That's not me. I, I just enjoy, you know, uh, being by myself or good, reading a good book, uh, just being with a, a few close friends. That's, that's me. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. But yet here this morning, we have extroverts and we have introverts. We're different, right? And that's okay. How many of you, even our talents are different. How many of you say, hey, I, I like to sing? How many of you say, I like to make a joyful noise? Yeah, right? It's different, right? We're different, and it's okay. Because in this list of helpers that Paul is, 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 is talking about, they were different in their skill sets. They were different in their spiritual gifts. They were different in their personalities. They were different in their talents. They, they were different people, yet they were all unified. And so we're different. It's okay. You see, diversity is, is wonderful. You see, insecure people don't like diversity. Insecure leaders don't like diversity. In, insecure churches don't like diversity. They want everything to be the same. They want the same this, the same that, the same everybody look the same, talk the same, act the same. They're about, they're about same. That would be dull. You're absolutely right, Jill. That's a good point. That would be boring if we were all the same, right? But a secure leader, a secure member, a secure church is okay with diversity. It's okay with us being different. As long as we are the same, we're unified in thought and purpose. We're unified in the direct, we're unified as, as, as the church coming together, exalting Christ. We're, we're unified. It's okay that we are diverse, that we're different. The Apostle Paul had all kinds of people that surrounded him with different gifts and different temperaments, different backgrounds, even different nationalities. Right? We're different with our nationalities, ethnicity, we're different. I believe that's what makes the body of Christ healthy. And it really it, it really is a testimony of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, his power, that God can take us as different as we are and use us toward a common goal. Isn't that awesome? And I think that, that's what speaks volumes to those outside of the church looking in, that, that here is this this, not an organization, but an organism, right? Here is this body of believers who are as diverse and different as different can be, but yet we can come together and we can lay aside our preferences, we can lay aside our desires, our agenda, and we can come together collectively, corporately, as a congregation and say, Lord, your will be done. That's awesome. Because, you see, you don't see that in the world. You don't see that in our nation. You don't see that in the workplace. 
You don't see that in homes. You don't see that. But see, the church should model that. The church should model that. Not only did they have different backgrounds and gifts, another observation is that Paul publicly affirmed his helpers. He, he publicly recognized them. I mean, this is interesting because in, 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 his, in his letter, all right, in this letter in, to, to the Christians in Colossae, he wanted to make sure that the people around him got the credit. That's, that is, that's, that's a powerful leadership lesson right there. Here's Paul, and as I mentioned before, Paul did a lot of great things in the expansion of the kingdom. But here he is, and he is giving credit where credit is due. And he's recognizing these, these individuals, these nobodies, okay? And then he's praising them for their help, for their service, for their ministry, for coming alongside of him and helping him. He's acknowledging them to them their worth. That's powerful. Paul wanted to make sure that everybody realized that his ministry was great, not because of who Paul was, but because of who he surrounded himself with. Number five, faith fact number five, Paul considered them part of his team. In other words, they weren't lower than Paul. They were a part of his team. They were partners in ministry. It wasn't here's here's Papa Paul, you know, cuz cuz uh, these individuals, he led to the Lord. He was their spiritual father uh sort of speak, okay? But but he didn't look at himself as I'm the dad, I'm the spiritual authority, but no, he saw them as partners in ministry. He saw them as look, we need to work together. We're co-laborers together. And so Paul considered them part of his team. He didn't look at them as, as you know, people who were unimportant. He could have just skipped over and said, hey, yeah, you know, the people that I'm hanging out with, the people who are here, they, they give a shout out. They say, hey, what's going on? They're praying for you. He could have been very generic in his, in his letter. But the fact that he, de- di- uh, he um, dedicates so many verses in recognizing these people who this is the many many this is the first time we've even read about them but yet Paul wants us to know that these people were important to him these people were very helpful they were significant to him and I believe that we should give credit where credit is due when we look at the church, when we look at ministry, when we look at those who serve, we could not do what we do if it weren't for the volunteers, if it weren't for those who roll up their sleeve and who dedicate. And as I mentioned before, statistically speaking, but yet as I evaluate where we are as a church, it's true. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so when you look at the 20% 20 who have just rolling up their sleeve, like Natalie, Natalie Natalie wears so many hats in the church. 
preschool, uh, church, you, you name it, man. Nat- Nat- Natalie has to go to her drawers of hats to, to figure. But, 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 you know, I praise the Lord for Natalie because we would not be able to do all that we do if it were not for Natalie. Lucian, man, he's a blessing. I'm praying that God allows them to be full-time down here, okay? Uh, but, but, you know, Lucian just rolls up his sleeves. Every year when he comes down, he rolls up his sleeves and he says, hey, where can I serve? Where, 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 can I, you know, where can I work? What, 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 what can I do to help? And he rolls up his sleeves and he just gets in there. Appreciate that. People in the sound room, Joanne, faithful, every, every Sunday, every Wednesday, she's back there. And again, you know, we, 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 we may, like I said, well, they're just back there, you know, uh, 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 making sure the level's fine and not too loud, not too, not too soft and all that. But you know what? They're, they're, they're partners in ministry. You know, truth be known, they make me sound good. Right? They make our praise team sound good. As if not, if it weren't for them, you know what? I'd have a bunch of feedback. A bunch of noise, a bunch of uh, reverberation. If, if it weren't for them back there, but yet, but see, that, that's the sort of thing. When we start to, to start to look at the people who serve in ministry, Sean and, and, and Danielle, who are, who are serving in children's church right now. Again, they sacrifice their time to be in here to do ministry. And I can go on and on and on, you know, listing the people, the interpreters. You know, we, got, uh, we got Nikki, and we have Z, and we have Patty, we have Heather, um, we have you know, the interpreters that, that, that sacrifice to come and, 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 and serve so that the deaf can hear. That's awesome. We wouldn't be able to do what we, we do without them. Our broadcast ministry. My son Peyton, who, who mans the, the two channels that we have, we broadcast live all across the nation, all across the world. We, we, we broadcast live through our deaf ministry, we have a deaf camera that's focused specifically on the interpreter so that deaf all over the world can hear the message. We have our main camera that, that, that broadcasts all live on our Facebook page all over the world. We have people who, who all over, from Washington, D.C., uh, Alabama, you name it, all over the world, people tune in to be served, to know about Jesus. And we wouldn't be able to do that with People back there running the technology, our greeters. I can go on and on and on, but here's what I'm saying. You know, we do what we do because of the volunteers. If you serve, if you serve in any capacity in our church, if you're on our handbell choir, you know, wherever, if you serve in any capacity in the ministry of Barwick Road Church, would you stand up? Take a stand. Come stand up. It's okay. If you serve in any capacity in any ministry here at Barwick Road Church, deaf ministry, you serve. You roll up your sleeves and you serve. You see, we could not do what we do if it were not for each of you. Now, here's the challenge. What do you think we can do if we had more volunteers? Right? I mean, what do you think about that? And that's the goal. That's the goal, to change the 20% who are doing 80% of the work to, to having 100% who do 100%. That's the goal. That's the, that's the challenge as we move forward, as we look at how do we become a healthy, vibrant, growing church 
reaching all people, all ages, all races. How do, we, how do we become that? It's going to require that all of its members, all of the team players, everyone who says Barwick Road is my church home, I'm a part of the family at Barwick Road, guess what? It's going to be chore time. We're going to come together and we're going to serve one another. Now it's quiet right there. I expected an amen. <laughs> at, at least... At least from the, the 20%, right? Because that, that's what it's going to entail. That's what it's going to involve. So Paul considered these people part of his team. Lastly, I think it's important to note that not all of them were qualified. They didn't go to seminary. These were common folk. They didn't have a high education. They were not socially uh, wealthy to do people. Uh, no, no, many of these, they, they were, they, we would look at them and say, ooh, well, I don't know if I would have made that choice. I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have had that person on my team, right? But when we see the, what, what, what God is doing and we see how Paul recognizes his team and he says, I want my team to stand up and take a bow. I want you to, to recognize my team. And so when you look at uh, uh, the people in, in whom Paul uh, uh, uses to help minister, well, first write down the name uh, Titicus. Right, again, it's, who? I've never heard of this guy. Who's he? Right down to him. He's, he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. You know what his job was? Right? You know, here's Titicus, all right? and, and, and he's always with Paul. All right? we, don't, we don't really don't. This is the first time that we've learned of his name, but he's one of the companions that's, that's always with Paul, always serving alongside Paul, always helping Paul. And we said, well, here's the first time we're introduced to this, this individual. Well, what did he do? You know what his job was? He was the mailman. His job was to deliver the letter. His job was to take Paul's message, all right, and bring it to the church, the Christians in Colossae, and say, here's your mail, all right? And, and he would take the letter from Colossae and take it to Paul and say, here's what the church says. That's, that's his job. He was, he was a mailman. He, that's all he did was deliver the letter. Now think about that. If it were not for Titicus... If it were not for him delivering Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, to the Christians in Colossae, guess what? We wouldn't have this letter. Even though Paul wrote it, if, if Titicus was not faithful and did not complete the ministry, if Titicus says, you know what, it's just a letter, I'm just going to make an airplane and shoot it, and hopefully, by God's miraculous power, it will make its way to the Christians in Colossae. But Titus says, no, it's my job. It's my responsibility to see that this letter goes from Paul to the Christian. And I praise the Lord that he was faithful, that he was trustworthy to deliver the mail, to deliver the message. It's interesting. Number two, another person you want to write down is Onesimus. That name may, might, might ring a bell because if you read the book of Philemon, it's all about Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. You know what he did? He ran away from his master, Philemon. And when he ran away from his master, he took his money. 
He stole from his master, okay? Now, it was before Onesimus came to know Jesus because guess what? God orchestrated their path where Paul actually met Onesimus and he led him to the Lord and God radically changed Onesimus' life. And no, now, now he's not a, a slave to his master Philemon. He's a slave to his master Jesus, all right? But here's somebody who, who, who we would say, wait a second. Here's a guy who had a bad background, I, mean, I don't know if we can trust Onesimus. He, he stole from his master. But listen, here's the, here's the change. Here's the difference. God changed his life. Onesimus was no longer the same. He experienced Jesus. He just wants to serve the Lord. And so Paul recognizes Onesimus. He's one of his helpers. This one who, who had a bad, shady background. And I think a lot of people do that. They say, well, you know, I'd like to serve. I'd like to, I'd like to do that. But, but my past, before I came to know Jesus, is too shady. Well, I would introduce to you Onesimus because that would have been his excuse too. But he says, you know what? Jesus changed my life. I'm no longer the same person. I've experienced the grace of God. And he rolls up his sleeve and he serves alongside of Paul. Another person you want to write down, uh, Aristarchus. Um, Aristarchus is, is one who, who shares uh, the burden with Paul. Um, here's another person. He, he's always with Paul. In fact, uh, if, if you read uh, the, the letter uh, to Ephesians, um, Paul is preaching in Ephesus and... Um, a, a, a riot breaks out. In fact, every time Paul preached, one of two things happened. Every time, every time Paul is preaching Jesus, one of two things takes place. Either, either a riot breaks out and they want to kill Paul, or a revival breaks out. Uh, every time, there's one of two things. Well, in, in, when Paul's preaching in Ephesus, guess what? A riot breaks out. And they, they want to take Paul, they want to make him a prisoner, but, but Paul escapes. And you know who, who they capture? This guy. This guy right here, Aristarchus, he's, he's, he's thrown into prison. Um, not only that, not only was he thrown into prison, uh, he's also one of the guys who was also shipwrecked with Paul. So, so it seems like you know, every time something bad happens, there's uh, Aristarchus, all right? Every time something bad happens in ministry, there he is. But, but here's what we can learn from him. He stuck with Paul through thick and thin. He stuck with Paul when things were good. He stuck with Paul when things were bad. He was in it to win it. He was committed. And I believe that should speak to a lot of us because many times when things get bad, we don't roll up our sleeves and press forward we bow out. We say, I'm out of here. I can't handle this. And, and, but, 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 but this guy, this guy in who Paul recognizes, uh, Aristarchus, he says, look, man, I'm, I'm committed. And Paul recognizes his commitment. He stayed with Paul. Mark. What we can learn from Mark is uh, God gives us a second chance. If you remember the story where Paul had just finished his first missionary journey, it was Paul and Barnabas, and they set out and they did ministry. Well, Barnabas brought his cousin Mark along with them on the journey. 
thinking that was a good idea. And maybe at that time it was a good idea. I don't know. I wasn't there. However, they set out, these three set out to tell others about Jesus and start these churches. Well, somewhere along the, the missionary trip, Mark says, you know what? I've had enough. And he leaves. He abandons the group. All right. He checks out. He says, look, I'm done. All right. I throw in the towel, whatever. We don't know why Mark did it. Uh, all we know is that Mark did it. All right. So now we come up to the second missionary journey, and Paul and Barnabas are talking about their plans and where they're going to go. And Barnabas says, let's bring Mark. And Paul says, no, we're not. And from that, they entered into a very sharp disagreement over Mark. And as a result of that, Paul says, look, you take Mark and you go over here and do ministry and do mission. And and I will take Titus and Timothy and we'll go this way and we'll do ministry. And the two parted paths. Now, here's, here's Barnabas, the encourager, right? And Mark, I mean, um, and, and Paul, uh, and, and close friendship, I mean, in doing ministry, partners in ministry. And now they've had to separate ways over, over Mark. Over Mark. Now, here's, you know, Barnabas, he's an encourager. Let's, you know, let's take Mark. Let's take Mark. Paul says, no, we're not taking Mark. That was the second missionary journey. But you know what? God had done a work in Paul's life over here, and God had done a a work in Mark's life over here. Time had passed, and now Mark has joined. He is with Paul, and Paul acknowledges him as part of the team. Here's a guy that Paul says, you know what, I'm going to give you a second chance. I think sometimes we think that, you know, I've messed it up, you know. You know, I, I, I did this once, and, and I failed, I faltered, I, I, I gave up, whatever the case is. And as we look at this, Paul, Paul, Paul would tell us, look, it's okay, give it another chance. Give it another try. Because here's, here's Mark. And notice what Paul says about Mark. He says, as does uh, Mark, the cousin of, of Barnabas, you've received instruction about him if he comes to you welcome him, embrace him. He's part of the team. Then there's Jesus justice. Uh, there's uh, Ephaphras. Um, he's a man of prayer. Then Luke. Interesting about Luke. All right? Luke's a doctor. Again, in Paul's acknowledgement of his workers, he, he, he acknowledges Luke, right? this doctor. Now, it's interesting about Luke is because here's a doctor, right? Here's one who is educated. Here's one who is, who is you know, he, he's got a pretty good skill set. He, you know, he's a doctor, but yet he is using his skills for ministry. He could have made a lot of money out in the private, se- private sector, right? He could have, but he says, you know what? I, I, I'm going to serve the Lord. I, I'm going I'm to be a part of what God is doing. I'm going to be a part of the movement of God. He could have said, look, you know what? You know what? That's great. You know, I, I wrote my, 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 um, my letter to Theophilus. If you read the book of Acts, uh, uh, the book of Acts is basically a letter that Luke is writing to um, Theophilus. Theophilus hires him to do this investigation uh, as to uh, you know, who is Jesus, what's, what's going on. Um, same with the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and so Luke could have said, look, I- I've done my job. I've done my service. I've done my time. All right? You know, I'm gonna, I- I- I've delivered you the letter. Uh, Theophilus, I'm I'm done with this. I'm going to go ahead and go back to my practice. 
I'm going to go back to my, my office. I'm going to go back to, to you know, the, 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 the private sector, the world, and, 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 and just be a doctor. But Luke says, you know what? I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be a part of this movement. And Paul acknowledges him. Demas. Demas is a man who gave up, but yet Paul acknowledges him. Uh, verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Um, again, another, another, in, another individual um, who could have been written off in ministry, but yet Paul has him be a partner. He has him part of the team. And then uh, Archippus, uh, look at verse 17 real quick. Um, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And I think that's the command right there. I think that's, that's, that's the conclusion of, of this message this morning. It's the conclusion of the series, all right? That we should be faithful in completing the ministry, in completing the mission, in striving to moving forward, moving out of our comfort zone, moving out uh, and doing ministry in the real world. As Paul is encouraging the Christians in Colossae, See to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Be faithful. And that's what God desires of us is to be faithful. To trust him. To follow him. To serve him. To love him. And to allow his power to work in us and through us. So that others can know him. And others can love him and others can experience him and others can worship him and others can serve and others. Every head bowed and every eye closed.